Do you believe that your name matters? I have enough school teachers in this room. Uh, they will let you know very quickly. It is important, dare I say significant, for you to get a child's name right. I think they give you about three days to figure it out before they begin to yell at you and berate you. And moms and dads are sending you hateful emails about how you are mispronouncing a child's name. The reason for this is that we really like for people to know who we are and we like for people to understand why we are and maybe the significance and the heritage that comes with it. Names are significant. Names matter. Uh, in our congregation, we have numerous members who have children with pretty creative names. We, we are a tad bit creative at our house. I mean, not quite hippy-dippy mumbo-jumbo, but we do have uh, some pretty fun names. Uh, I remember when Hope and I found out that she was having Shepherd. I'm very careful to not say that I had Shepherd because th that's not what happened. But uh, when we were going to have Shepherd, we really were trying to figure out what to name this child. We had no idea what to call him. They give you nine months. I'm pretty convinced that you get nine months to figure out the name of your kid. And uh, we get to the hospital and we begin to have conversations with this doctor. And the doctor is interacting with me. For whatever reason, I was her point of reference. And, and she is asking me really important doctor questions. Things like, hey, uh, do you want to deliver the baby? I said, no, ma'am. I drop stuff all of the time. I'm going to need three to six months to figure this out. And then she said, well, what about cutting the cord? No, ma'am. I'm paying you far too much money to handle all of the sharp objects in our upcoming interaction. Her final question was, and I've shared this with some of our congregants before, well, what's the baby's name? To which I replied, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? We gave you nine months. I think you got a book. You could Google this. We don't know. We don't have a name for him yet. We wanted something scriptural. I kept recommending the names of minor prophets. Things like Malachi. And hopes of Chad, that's one of the children of the corn. We cannot name our baby Malachi. We might as well name him Atrocious. So, oh, okay, what are we going to name him? She has the baby... The doctor's really kind, and she said, well, you've got a couple of days here. The next day, a social worker comes in, and the social worker says to us, what's your baby's name? To which I replied, I don't know. The social worker was not as kind. I believe it's because she works at the same place the doctor does and makes way less money. And she said to me, uh, you have to have a baby. He has to have a permanent name before he leaves here. I said, man, we'll call him wheat bread temporarily if we need to, but he's got to go home with us. Eventually, we're looking at this baby. They put him in a cube, and we're just walking around said cube trying to figure out, can I catch an angle for a good name? We like the name Shepherd. And I'm a pastor. Duh. And I'm going to spend the bulk of my life in situations and scenarios like this where I'm with church people. And I thought, for sure, everyone will know how to spell and say my child's name. Nope. 
Absolutely not. The things that people have written down. Some of you people, mind you, have written down in regard to this kid's name. I can remember a little girl saying to me one day, Now, did you say your baby's name was Shafar? No. That's a Bible horn. Or the villain on Aladdin. One sweet child said, Did you say your baby's name was Sheep? Yes. I named my firstborn son Sheep. Can you imagine disciplining little Sheep? You. Are bad. (laughs) Misspelled, mispronounced, misunderstood. And it drives me crazy. Just like it would drive any of us crazy if someone said our name incorrectly. And this is how you spell it. This is how you say it. This is how you know it. Because names matter. They just matter. That's why farmers don't name the cows on their farm. Or the pigs that are on their farm. I would never call you church member 2147. Or guest 322. Names are significant. Names are important. Names have value. Names bestow value. They remind you that someone has taken the time to know who you are. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to spend time there in Isaiah chapter 6. So if you would like to mark... Those two spots. Our text today comes from the Lord's Prayer. And our focus is on hallowed be your name. Matthew 6 verse 9. Therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Don't bring us into temptation, but deliver us from, e- from the evil one. For if you forgive others, I'll read 14 and 15 just so you hear. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Or as the King James says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. The big idea that we have for today, or the central idea from the text, at least as far as I can understand it, is this. When God's name is not hallowed, we will forget him. Now that doesn't mean that his value ceases or even decreases. It just means that we have detached ourselves from the most important being in the universe. There are numerous references throughout the history of the church and even in the, in the story of the nation of Israel where there is a season where God is exalted and elevated and then the next generation takes God for granted. Well, when one generation takes what God for granted, the next forgets him. We have one generation that, again, exalts God. 
leading to another generation that if we are not careful, will take God for granted, leading to the final generation that will forget Him. When we talk about God and His name, I don't want us to forget Him. I don't want us to lose sight of Him. I want us to see Him for who He actually is and His name for what it's actually worth. So when we're talking about prayer, we are saying that we, as a believing people, are getting to create, communicate with the most important, most significant being in all of the universe. The one who made us, the one who put life and breath in each and every one of us, the one who gives value to our being, the one who said to, as he created, this one was made in my image. And when we are interacting with the Lord... We have to consider the value of prayer and what it means for us to go before the Lord in prayer. The Heidelberg Catechism says this. We confess this question. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? And the answer for that is because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us. And because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who earnestly and without ceasing beg them of Him and render thanks unto Him for them. This is us acknowledging, aligning with, affirming that we are not powerful enough to make it on our own. That there is one who is for us that is the ultimate supplier of our needs and the one who gives us all that we need. Uh, R.C. Sproul, a Presbyterian theologian, said this, No one is born a good prayer. Prayer. There's nothing more repugnant to the natural man than to spend time alone, alone with God. If the natural man finds it to be repugnant to spend time alone with God, what does your current and my current prayer life look like? Would some say that we believe spending a time alone with God is Repugnant. That's a pretty heavy, loaded word. So, if we're going to ask some questions, let me give you these to you. The, I, again, when God's name is not hallowed, we will, we will forget Him. So, we're going to try to answer these three questions this morning. What is His name? Number one. What is hallow? And how do I hallow? What is His name? What is hallow? And how do I hallow? What is his name? Isaiah chapter 6. Go with him. Verses 1 through 3. We get a pretty good visual as to the elevated state of who God is. And this does not depend upon the, the position of Isaiah. It is not as if Isaiah being there elevates God. As a matter of fact, in the presence of God, Isaiah sees his current scenario. Isaiah 6, 1-3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Now, there, there are many who would say in regard to this verse in particular, that the focus of Isaiah, or Isaiah, as some of my friends who pronounce things in cooler ways than I do would say, the focus on the hem of his robe is because of how stupendous God is. Isaiah doesn't have words to describe the nature of what he sees in God himself. I will just notice his robe because I can't get anywhere past or beyond that. 
Chapter, verse 2. Seraphim were standing above him. And they had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And they called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. And his glory fills the whole or the entire earth. So this is the nature of God. And we are seeing here that Isaiah says this is the Lord of armies. And as we have discussed multiple times as we've interacted with the Old Testament passages, whenever we see the word Lord capitalized, L-O-R-D, it is referencing and working in the realm of God as Yahweh. This is one of the names that we see for God in the book of Genesis. God is Yahweh, the self-sufficient one, the one who has no need, the one who is not waiting or hoping that we would say, let me make sure that you were elevated. This is who he is. This is his very nature. God is that. That's one of the names that we see of God. That's not the only name that we see of God in the Scriptures, though it is a fantastic starting point that Yahweh has given us. The God is the self-sufficient one. The one who is needless. Other names of God, if you're a note taker, feel free to take these down. And if you're not a note taker, just listen. One is Elohim. That's what we see in the book of Genesis when we're reading through the scriptures. God is Elohim. It is used throughout the Old Testament interchangeably to reference and. God And this name has an emphasis as well. The name emphasizes God's power and God's might. So when we're talking about God as Elohim, a really good way to summarize that concept is this is the majestic creator. God made you and God is, he is splendid and majestic and wonderful. He's glorious. He's the things that we've been singing today. He's Elohim. In the Old Testament, God is going to not simply be referred to in those two ways. He's referred to by various names and various titles. And all of these various names and titles are showing us aspects of His character and of His nature. One of those is the name Adonai. Uh, Amy Grant introduced me to it years ago. Any Amy Granters in the house? And and the, the song was, would sing of Adonai, and it means Lord or Master, and it signifies God's authority... And his sovereignty. So when we're talking about God, we have a majestic creator who is self-sufficient and we want to make sure that we're considering his sovereignty. El Shaddai is God Almighty. And it shows us that God is all-powerful and he is able to provide. Not only does he have what we need to be provided, he is able to provide. El Elyon means the Most High God. This name shows us God's supreme and exalted position above everything. God is this group of things, this categorization of things. Then we get to the Jehovah's, which are really fun. Jehovah Jireh, this means the Lord will provide. Not only can he provide, but God will provide. Genesis chapter 22 refers to the Lord as Jehovah Jireh. This isn't the only Jehovah that we see in Scripture. Jehovah Rapha means the Lord who heals. The all-sufficient God of the Bible who in splendor and majesty cannot be wounded, 
is fully capable of healing broken people, shattered people, disoriented people, traumatized people, anxious people, sinful people, sin-filled people. Jehovah Nisi means the Lord is my banner. And that's the, that is the name that the Lord is given by Moses after they've had a massive victory over one of the armies that opposed them. Jehovah Shalom. Well, it translates that the Lord is my peace. We know Shalom, my friend, till I see you again on another Arabian night. The Lord is peace. This name shows us that God is able to bring peace and God is able to bring wholeness. Jehovah Ra. The Lord is my shepherd. It's from Psalm 23. Spelled S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. Like the Bible. And it shows us that God cares. God guides. God protects. Jehovah Shema. The Lord is present. This reminds us and shows us that God is with us. And he offers a future restoration and a future peace. That's Ezekiel chapter 48. Just by show of hands, how many of you have been in situations or scenarios recently where you needed to see God display himself as something like some of this? Anybody? Altogether, all in all, there are 955 names and titles of God in the Bible. I'm not going to cover them all. The, <laughs> good. But what I do want us to see is this diversity of names. It undoes something inside of us. It undoes the mechanical, wooden approach that we may have to God only being what we think and why we think it. On top of that, as we look into the Scriptures and we see the complexity of who God is, it does, God is doing the work of keeping us from trying to make Him in our own image. Because that's one of the, bad, the, the top ten list of commands. God is not what we need because we think that is what we need. God is who we need because He knows what we need. And those are different things. So we have this question that we're, we're asking and we're looking into the Scriptures and we look at who God is and we see these various aspects of the nature and the character of God displayed by God throughout the Scriptures. Well, help me out. What does it mean... To hallow. Unless you were traveling with Harry and Hermione in book seven, more than likely you have never used, heard the word hallowed used the way that we see it in King James English. The word means to revere or, or to set apart. 
It's to see God for who He is, but not only see God for who He is, it's to see ourselves in light of who God actually is. Four and five. The foundations of the doorway of Isaiah 6. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. And then I said... Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. So the perspective of Isaiah in light of sovereign, all-powerful God, the Lord of lords, self-sufficient God, is, uh uh-oh. I don't know what to do with this. That's why we believe he just talks about the rope. This is more than my little mind can comprehend. On top of that, when we're looking at Isaiah in this passage, what we don't want to miss is he, this is not Isaiah at his worst. He is a religious prophet of Yahweh. (laughs) He has all of the buttons that... We would some of us would get when we were younger. If you are unfamiliar with church speak, they used to give us buttons and patches sometimes. It was a very confusing time to be a child. I see God. But this is not what I thought. This is more than who I thought. This is greater than what I can even comprehend. This God. So when we're looking at this passage and we're talking about the word hallow, it it is the verb form of the word holy that we're more familiar with. God, you're this. And as a matter of fact, Isaiah 6, 1-3, it says, Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah's acknowledgement is not what makes God holy in this passage. God is holy and that's what makes God holy. But Isaiah is invited into the place of grasping what it means to verbalize that when he starts and sees, this is more. I am ruined. That language is... I hate for things to be ruined. That means they're destroyed and they no longer have any value in and unto themselves. And what Isaiah says to us in this text is, when I see God for who He actually is, I see what a waste I am. No matter how much I I, I seem to have it together, I'm all apart and in pieces all over the floor. I am ruined, but He is not. My lips are are unclean. This isn't the... Watch your language, people. Let's go with that. But this is not simply a matter of him saying, I should not say bad words. This is him acknowledging that I can't convey how great this happens to be. My lips fall short. My behaviors fall short. Everything I'm going to do is going to fall short. My lips are unclean, but his lips are not. 
We know that his lips aren't unclean. Because we see in the Scriptures over and over that we, we know that the Word of the Lord is good and it is true and it is beneficial and it guides His people. That the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of the Lord does what? It endures forever. His lips are not unclean. But, but if I'm not invited to interact and participate with them, then I'm donezo. I've seen the King... That's a really good thing for Isaiah to acknowledge. But it's even in so doing, he is pointing out, I'm not the king. For so many of us, our walk with Jesus would be simpler if we would quit acting as if we were kings and queens. To hallow your own name. For me or for you to hallow our own name, that's one of the biggest problems that we have. It's really hard for us to set the Lord apart by our words and actions when the rest of our lives is for the purpose of us setting ourselves apart. To hallow your own name, <laughs> it, is, it is to try to move across the country with nothing but a backpack while you're wearing a pair of those Healy rolling shoes. That's how ludicrous this is. Because we are insufficient people. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. That doesn't mean that God doesn't see us as made in His image. It doesn't mean any of those things. We point our, out our insufficiency because it aligns our hearts with His sufficiency. But we've got to acknowledge it. And there are non-believing people all over the world right now who cannot acknowledge that. But what is sadder is the number of believing people who would claim to walk with Jesus that are not concerned that they are to be hallowers of His name. That we are to acknowledge not what, what we... We are not lifting God up, but we're pointing out who He actually is. But it's even better. Because you get this Isaiah 6 passage and you get 1 through 5. One of my favorite verses in the Scripture. Look, I lean in pretty intently to the idea that the whole Bible unpacks for us the person of Jesus. The Bible is beautiful and glorious. It is faultless and flawless. The Bible is not the point. The Bible serves to point to Jesus. Where do we get that? John 12, verse 41. What a verse. Isaiah said these things because he, because he saw His glory and spoke about Him, Him being whom? Jesus. This isn't a matter of us making sure God is set apart. He's already that. We aren't pushing God to His utmost potential. You don't make God better. None of us do. God could exist as the immovable mover who is far from His people if He wanted to. He doesn't choose to be that. He doesn't act in that way. He could be far away. But He chooses to be near to us. So for us to align as hallowers of the name of God... We see we've been invited to it. Wooden understanding of God 
based on our preconceived notions as to what God should be, or maybe even our, our theological bends can cause us to miss who God actually is. How do I hallow the name of God? How do you do it? We hallow the name of God primarily because he allows us to. Verse verse 8, rather, of that wonderful passage in Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 6 through 8. Then one of the seraphim flew to me in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying this, Who will I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, in me. We can't even get into the depths of the water of what it means for Isaiah to say, here I am, in me. But we will go here. If you'll just notice, God is sending him to a place he's not even talked about yet. But because he'd experienced how good and how vast and how significant the glory of God in the person of Jesus is, he says, I'll go. God unpacks it and says, they're going to listen. They're, going to be, they're not going to pay attention. They're going to be the worst. It's okay, I'll go. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. How to hallow the name of God. One, we have to be intentional. And the reason for that is this. Passive dismissal, passive dismissal is just as bad as intentional neglect. So if we're going to dismiss our invitation to be hallowers of the name of God because of what he's done for us in the person of Jesus, then we are just neglecting. It's just another form of neglect. When we look into this passage in Matthew chapter 6, after we get to the hallowing of the name of God, what we see is every phrase from this point forward exists for that very purpose. This is the phrase that holds it all together. God who is near to me, let's, not, let's make sure that I do not take you lightly. I want to elevate your name in everything that I am and in all that I do. That's what God's people do. Your kingdom come so that we can say that you are set apart and that your name matters because you've invited us into that. Your will be done. Give me my daily bread. Forgive me my debts. We will forgive our debtors, Lord, if you do. Lead me not to temptation. God, I don't want to go there because I want to hallow your name. Deliver me from evil because if you don't deliver me from evil, I can't hallow your name. It's us seeing what God actually says to us and taking it with more than a grain of salt. And none of this is possible apart from God's act of nearness. That God chose to become flesh and dwell in our midst. And those names are so interesting to me. One more. Leviticus chapter 20. We see that God is Jehovah Mekadesh, which there is no way I pronounce correctly. But it translates that the Lord, it's the Lord who sanctifies you. Or the Lord who makes you holy. Any action on our behalf is because of the grace of God shown to us on His. 
He's invited us to that. Well, how do we see that? Where do we see that? How do we align our hearts and minds and our affections with that? We want to emphasize God's role as the one who sets us apart. Well, where did God do that? He did that by coming near. God's nearness to us, it cost him his life. So we get Philippians chapter 2, where it reads this, and I'll paraphrase. Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when Jesus had come as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God has highly exalted Jesus and gave Jesus the name that is above every single name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, so hear me with all of those fantastic names that we talked about. When we're talking about God being Yahweh, Jesus is all-sufficient. He is self-sufficient. When we say that, that God is the majestic creator, well, Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus made everything. made the whole world. When we look at this God idea of Jesus being Lord and Master, Jesus never stops someone when they call Him Lord. When Jesus, we see that Jesus is God Almighty because He tells storms to stop. We see that Jesus is the Most High God. We see that Jesus is the one who provides when He breaks bread and feeds 20,000 people. We see that Jesus is the one who heals throughout the New Testament over and over and over. We see that Jesus is the banner. He is our great victory. We see that Jesus is the Lord. He is our peace. He's, the scriptures call him a prince of peace. We see that Jesus is the shepherd. and He actually says, I am a good shepherd. We see that Jesus is the Lord who is present because he has chosen to be near with us. We see that Jesus sanctifies us as his people because Jesus came close to each one of us. We are a people who worship Jesus. We can know God and love God because of Jesus. We've been invited into a relationship with God where we could hallow the name of God because of Jesus. As one commentator says about this, Jesus, he brings us to this place. Whereas every other God in all of creation, and all, because they are created by, by fictions and figments of people's imagination, all the other gods, they need stuff. Jesus provides stuff. Listen to this. Instead of bringing our offerings, we receive Christ's offering. Instead of sacrificing to, to our God, our God sacrifices for us. Instead of worshiping something that will consume us, we worship a God that invites us to consume Him. What a beautiful, arresting mystery. It should stop us dead in our tracks every single week. Whenever we see a loaf of bread and a cup of juice on a communion table, we should be dumbstruck. Because when we take of this table, we should say to ourselves, I can hardly believe this is how much my God loves me. Broken body, shed blood, invited into relationship with God through Jesus. So we're going to take communion this morning. If you're not a believer in this room, that can apply to you. It doesn't. So you're really wasting your time and, and wasting our wafer and, and juice. Just stay back. Nobody's going to judge you in here. But if you're a believer in Christ, when you take of the wafer, don't take God for granted. Because passive dismissal is active neglect. Think about what Christ has done so that you could be someone who is invited into the hallowing of His name. Heads bow. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word.
If you've never placed your faith in Christ, I would love to talk to you about that. I'm in the back, my right hand, your left hand corner of the room. I would love to talk to you about what it means for you to believe in Christ, to trust Christ, to trust God's provision for you in Christ. So feel free to come chat with me. If you're here and you're a believer, but you, need, you just would like to have someone pray with you, I'm there, but these brothers and sisters who are around you, that I say this regularly, I believe I get to pastor some of the best people on earth. That we get to lead a group of people that we just love. And if you need someone to pray for you or pray on your behalf, if you don't want to come talk to me because I've got a microphone on, that's okay. Just talk to one of them. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I pray that the weight of it will rest on us and send us into an active hallowing of your name. We ask it in Jesus' name.